0: My name is Daniel Lockwood. I'm a 20-year-old British citizen, and I've been living in China for the last 18 months. My mother's name is Deborah Lockwood. I'm typing this on an iPad. It's around 10.45 p.m. on Tuesday, the 30th of April, 2013. I'm unsure of my exact location, but I'm somewhere in the mountains south of Beijing on the border of Hubei province, close to a small village named Shidu. My fingers are trembling as I quietly tap away at the touch screen, and tears are flowing heavily from my eyes, creating a satisfying patter sound as they slam against the smooth surface of the tablet. A cigarette is hanging loosely from my lips, the space is tight and unwelcoming. Not the kind of tomb I had hoped for. So, please, forgive any spelling mistakes or nonsensical ramblings. My vision is slightly blurred and my mind abundant with unimaginable horrors. Isn't it funny though, that even in death, the brain is concerned with such trivial things as grammar? Anyway, this is my legacy. If you're reading this, I hope to God that you are warm and safe within the confines of a locked room or in a heavily populated area. I hope that your friends and family are close by or that your pet cat is cuddling up on your lap. Because the tale I'm about to tell is not for the faint-hearted, nor is it fabricated or exaggerated. It's the telling of a desperate man's final hour in existence. One filled with horror, fear, and experiences he wouldn't wish upon his worst enemy. And the purpose of this final entry is to reveal the truth, to let it be documented that there are still things in this world that we don't understand, that we've not discovered yet. There are still things in this world that haven't emerged from the darkness to reveal their twisted and unholy faces. But I'm not scared anymore. If you're reading this, then I'm surely dead. Around 11 hours ago, myself and four others embarked on a mini-adventure, outside of the familiar and into the wild. Now, I won't waste time on backstories and the like. All you really need to know is that the five of us were intrepid travelers, a close group of friends who thoroughly enjoyed each other's company, and frequently enjoyed treks and hikes together. Of this five, only I remain, and soon my life will too come to a grisly end. This particular escapade landed us in Shaidu, a small and rural village far on the outskirts of Beijing municipality, China. It's famous for its beautiful scenery, adventure, activities, and serenity. It's also famous for its rich and colorful folklore, an area of Asia that often attracts cryptozoologists from around the globe. If you live in a foreign country for long enough and take enough of an interest in its traditions, you will reach further and further into the foundations of its culture, learning about the food and history and mannerisms, you will eventually, and undoubtedly, come across an aspect of that culture that is very often a very defining and unique feature. Fairy tales and stories about beasts and boogies that hide in the forests or under your bed. Goblins and ghouls that will suck your soul out through your mouth, or drag you kicking and screaming through the earth until you reach the burning core of hell. You learn about graveyards and rituals, superstitions and spells, curses, and ghosts. All of these things add a certain charm and elegance to a culture, and Chinese culture is brimming with such legends. I've taken that step from reality into the realm of legends, No longer am I skeptical of the shadows in my cupboard or the creaks from the attic. I now believe that people have been possessed or abducted or probed or haunted or eaten or defiled in horrifying ways by horrifying creatures. These things I now know to be true. But I'm not scared anymore. I just hope that there is a god who can offer me some form of peace after this ordeal comes to its inevitable end. We departed from Beijing's city center around eleven in the morning, excited and well prepared for a couple of days in the mountains, armed with snacks, cameras, and of course a sense of adventure. As the concrete jungle behind us slowly faded away into the thick layer of smog that frequently engulfed the city, The five of us enjoyed a long and comfortable ride through the Chinese countryside, passing large open fields and seas of rotten wooden shacks, which became less recurrent as we entered the sloping valleys and canyons that twisted through southwestern Beijing. The first port of call was a brief stop at the guesthouse, where we could stretch our legs, wash up and offload any unnecessary baggage. I'm not going to attempt to make this into a cliche horror story by providing falsifying claims of unsettling landlords or shaky warnings from deformed locals, because none of that happened. It was an ordinary guesthouse within the confines of ordinary mountains, inhabited by ordinary folk living ordinary lives. There was nothing extraordinary about this place just yet. After a quick shower, a bite to eat, and a cigarette, we hopped back onto the bus and started the brief journey to the beginning of the hike, which would take us through the most rural and unexplored section of this particular mountain range. At 5.20pm, we arrived. The driver, a stern but pleasant local man, told us to call him roughly 30 minutes before we wanted to be picked up. We responded by informing him that we should have completed the hike about 9pm. I guess he's getting pretty worried by now. Now we purposely chose to start the hike slightly later than usual, to avoid swarms of other tourists, but admittedly not as late as we did. The sun was already waning in the sky, foreboding the fading light that would soon be devoured by darkness. The last few drips and drabs of sightseers were funneling out of the narrow opening ahead, shooting us concerned looks as we shambled past them on our way up. We had traversed through tough terrain in the late evening before, so we didn't give much thought to the implications of a night hike. The first hour or so of the hike was relatively undemanding. Lightly inclining slopes and steps paralleled with rows of stone carvings and badly translated signs. All of the stalls and markets that accompanied the first section of the trail were deserted now, save for the one or two remaining locals gathering their cheap tat and trinkets, ready to sell on the next day. We only passed the handful of others, who shot us yet more disconcerting looks as we strolled past them in the fading sunlight. Areas of the mountain had already been swallowed up by shifting shadows. Other sections were relishing in the last few minutes of luminosity.
1: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest waterslide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You repel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do?
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The trail gradually became more demanding as equally spaced steps became less and less frequent. After about an hour and a half of trekking, We came across a tattered notice board which informed us of our current position and distance from the peak, not too far away. The only sounds that filled the evening air were our voices as we discussed the next day's activities, water rafting and horseback riding. Gaps in conversation would bring a dead silence. There wasn't even a breeze to rustle the trees, not a cricket chirping Not a bird tweeting. It was dead silence. Even the sounds of our heavy footsteps seemed to be drowned away by the enormity of the mountain. Close to the peak, we came across the small, traditionally crafted pagoda. The path split in two here. One led straight ahead, further up the mountain and towards the peak. I remember from the map that this was also the exit route. Which eventually wound down and intercepted the entry path close to the bottom. The other path strayed off to our right. This route, dutifully named Cloud Road, was steep and led to a large raised viewing platform about 200 meters above. We spent a few moments deliberating whether or not to take the minor detour to catch a glimpse of the setting sun from one of the mountain's few viewing platforms. Sarah and Thomas, the couple of the group, decided that they would have a rest at the pagoda. The rest of us, assuming that they just wanted some alone time, sighed and began to make our way up to the platform. It wasn't much of a detour, perhaps ten minutes each way, but a tiring walk nonetheless. Neither of us really spoke much on the way up. The path was too uneven to focus on conversation but the top of the platform rewarded us with a breathtaking view of the landscape. The mountains stretched on for as far as the eye could see, and even in the waning light, I could see far into the distance. The rolling hills seemed to carry on forever, and signs of early summer blossomed and cascaded over the slopes. We spent five or so minutes catching our breath at the rest stop, I enjoyed a celebratory cigarette, resting against the lone fir that occupied the platform, appreciating the spectacular view that lay before me. Now I found myself unable to take my eyes away from the scene. The hills seemed to twist and ripple around me, not in a sinister way, but in a magnificent display of beauty. It wasn't until my friend, Jay, nudged me that I awoke from my daydream, crushed the cigarette button to the ground, and turned on my heels to begin the descent back down to the pagoda. The sun was hanging very low in the sky now, disappearing behind a large set of mountains to the west as we fumbled our way down. Gradually, the pagoda emerged from behind the shrubbery and into view. Sarah and Thomas were no longer perched on one of its colorful beams as they had been before. My first thought was that they were probably responding to a call in nature in a nearby bush, or they had just gone up ahead without us. And then Claire saw it. Then she screamed. And then we all saw it. A human scalp sprouting long blood matted blonde hair lay on the ground toward the back of the pagoda folds of tattered skin were hanging loosely from the main bulk of the flesh it looked like a piece of roadkill and as though it had been clumsily removed using a blunt instrument or perhaps a giant animal's claw it was clearly identifiable as being from sarah's head The rest of her was nowhere to be seen. Long streaks of crimson had stained the wooden floor of the pagoda, and led away into the foliage just past it. My eyes shifted from the gory mess in front of me to the left, where a detached jaw lay clumsily on the soil, velvety tendons protruding from the thing. Whatever had ripped it from its owner did so quickly, And with an almighty strength I began to taste acid in the back of my tongue As mouthfuls of thick hot vomit Made its way out of my stomach And up into my esophagus I could barely distinguish between the sounds Of my friends screaming And the throbbing wretches that accompanied The stream of bile that flowed from my mouth My stomach had emptied itself onto the earth before me Stinging my nose and eyes as it did so Somebody grabbed me by the shoulder And was yelling maniacal and undecipherable words at me My legs instinctively began to carry me away from the nightmarish scene And along the unexplored path ahead The sounds of heavy breathing and clumsy footsteps rang through the trees And bounced off the rock faces surrounding us Dusk was settling in and the first few stars began winking in the void above me. We sprinted for several minutes, plummeting through thick shrubs as we lost all sense of direction, fueled solely by adrenaline. The path was tight here, barely enough space for two people to stand side by side. I glanced over my shoulder to see that the others weren't too far behind me. Their panic-stricken faces only served to heighten my own desperate fear, and another 20 seconds of sprinting led me to take a sharp left turn around a protruding rock, after which I stopped dead in my tracks. Fear is a horribly difficult emotion to describe. It does things to the human body that can be traced back to the earliest species of man. It forces hair follicles to stand on end in an attempt to make our form seem more menacing. It commands a fight-or-flight instinct, designed to secure our continued existence when confronted with something potentially life-threatening. Fear can also paralyze the human body, a reaction to frightening stimuli that is less understood by those who study it. This latter reaction, being paralyzed, is the unfortunate response my body decided to commit to when confronted with the terror ahead. The path in front was again long and narrow. It was lined with brooding trees, most of which hung delicately over the lane. Roughly a hundred meters along the trail stood, or rather hunched a figure. I immediately came to the conclusion that it was not human. It was far too tall, perhaps close to 8 foot, even with its drooped posture. Its arms and legs were massively out of proportion to its body, stretching almost to the floor. I couldn't quite make out any defining features. It was far too dark to pick up on anything other than its overall size and shape. But one thing I did notice, however, was that it was clutching something in its right hand. This something was dripping a thick liquid which was pooling to the earth below. Now I assumed that the others had witnessed the same horrific sight as I had. I could sense them standing close behind me. Even in this situation, the closeness of others provided the slightest amount of comfort. Now, I'm not really sure how long we were standing there. It could have been as much as several minutes. Now I can't say for sure how I knew it. But I was certain that I was staring into whatever it had instead of eyes. Dark voids occupied the space. A shade of such complete blackness. It was unnatural. It dropped whatever it had clasped in its claws extending its slender fingers so that they scraped the ground below. The object, which I now assumed to be a chunk of flesh, splattered onto the soil and the thing began creaking and moaning as it shifted slightly and then it began running straight towards us. Life swept back through my limbs as I launched myself into the opposite direction, pushing past the others in a selfishly desperate attempt to put myself ahead of them. The thing was now screeching, a blood-curdling sound that quickly intensified as it grew nearer. It had been running for a few seconds, when I heard a different kind of scream. I can only assume that it had mounted J., For the most unnerving shriek, obviously that of a male, stung my ears, quickly followed by a loud thud. His screams were soon cut off by a sharp snapping sound that echoed through the night. It certainly was not the sound of a branch breaking. Tears blurred my vision at this point, making it difficult to navigate the uneven path Frequent glances over my shoulder confirmed that Claire was not far behind me. And looking past Claire, I could see the thing sitting atop Jay's chest and greedily gnawing at his face. One prolonged look treated me to a view of the thing pulling Jay's eyeball out of its socket with its teeth. The optical nerve stretching to a surprising length before eventually snapping and bouncing back and forth like a child's plaything it slurped the eyeball into its gaping maw and swallowed it down whole sending it down into its abysmal stomach I turned again making eye contact with Claire whose face was a mess of colors as her makeup was sent sprawling across it in a mixture of sweat and tears my stomach lurched again when I noticed that the thing was no longer in view Jay's mangled corpse still lay awkwardly on the ground, and I screamed at Claire. It's gone! It's gone! Claire immediately swung her head around in an attempt to confirm my claims, and as she did so, her foot caught on a stray root that had defiantly pushed its way through the rock floor. I tumbled to a halt only catching a short glimpse of her ragdoll-like form as she toppled over the edge of the steep bank on her left. I could do nothing but stand and listen to her muffled yelps as she crashed down through the foliage. The drop was at least 20 meters and strewn with ragged rocks and tangled trees. Now I made a necessary and self-preserving decision right there to carry on without her. If she managed to survive the fall, then surely the thing would get her anyway. I pelted my way back down, past the pagoda and the scalp and the jaw. I fell down a couple of times, quite seriously hurting myself, and I ran until I physically could run no more, and collapsed in a heap on the ground. My chest and head were pounding violently, and for the first time since the start of this ordeal... I had a few seconds to reflect on the reality of what had happened. Three out of four of my friends were certainly dead. The fourth's fate, as yet unknown. This thing was fast and likely had superhuman sensory abilities. But was there just one of them? Or had a whole clan of monsters evolved in this untouched region of China? The thought of a group of the things made me whimper audibly. I screamed quietly as my phone vibrated against my leg. I quickly fumbled it out of my pocket so as to silence the damned device and use it to call for help now that I had a chance. Claire was calling me. I answered it immediately and put the phone to my ear. She was sobbing painfully. And through the weeping, I could hear her saying, Why did you leave me? Why did you leave me? Why? And then... It's here. It's here now. It's just... Standing there. It's watching me. It's just standing there. It's right in front of me. A screech, a scream, and a sickening, squelching noise bellowed through the speaker's I scrambled along the ground and into a crevasse on the side of the mountain, behind a bush, and I buried my face into my knees. Indescribable sounds continued to stream out of the mobile phone, which I had placed on the ground in front of me. A brief moment of silence followed, eventually broken by the sniffling, creaking sounds of the thing. It handled the device for a few seconds before screeching, dropping it and galloping off into the night i threw the phone away from me and rustled through my backpack for a cigarette and an ipad and i've spent the last 30 minutes chain smoking and immortalizing my last words it's almost time and i could feel it i'm not scared anymore because i know it will be over soon anybody reading this might think it's insane of me just to sit and wait for death as opposed to attempting escape i don't really know why i'm not currently cascading through the night it just feels right that i sit here and wait i'm not scared anymore it's here now i hear its silent footsteps a few moments ago now it's standing about a half a meter away from me on the other side of this bush I could see its pale, scaly, thin legs through the shrubbery. I could see its crimson-stained claws hanging freely by its side, almost touching the ground. I can hear its controlled breathing and croaking. And I could smell its thick musk and the drying blood around its face. It's my turn now. I'm not scared.